Alrighty folks, check this out. That, you see that? That's all me. I did that. Yeah, he did it. That's what's killing my business. You ever see one of those, Hannah? And I did that sticker? Yeah. Yeah. Would you describe it for me? Yeah, it's just Biden pointing. The sticker says I did that and people will slap it on like the gas pump at a gas station. The next person who gets their gas and they, they get sticker shock, they're going to remember that President Biden did that. Here we go. Right next to that $4.67 a gallon gasoline. I was looking around for videos of these stickers at gas stations to make this episode. And you can buy them anywhere, by the way. Uh, one recent gas pump display I saw had three stickers. It had Joe Biden pointing and saying, I did that. Uh, and then a picture of Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi saying, I helped. And then Vice President Kamala Harris saying, I just blank. The blank being a rude word I don't want to say on this podcast. And if we were like a hip, fast-paced political talk show, we could make today's episode, well, did he do that? Did Joe Biden make gas prices go up? And while we will answer that question today, we're going to frame it a bit differently. Because you're listening to Civics 101. I'm Nick Capodice. I'm Hannah McCarthy. And today we're talking about the president and the price of gasoline. What is the relationship throughout American history between our chief executive and what we pay at the pump? And to start our journey, Hannah, I want to introduce you to Robert Rapier. So, yeah, my name is Robert Rapier. I'm a chemical engineer. I work for Proteum Energy. We uh, take oil field flare gas and, and uh, you know, other supplies, and we convert that into hydrogen. On the side, I write for Ford. Just to reiterate, Robert is not a political scientist. He has worked in engineering in the fuel and oil industry for about 30 years. In March of 2021, he wrote an article called Who is to Blame for Rising Gas Prices? And I spoke with him, and he let me in on a little secret. Go on. He told me the name of the person actually responsible for high gas prices. Who is it? You very Museveni. He's the president of Uganda. So a friend of mine that lives in Uganda, he wrote to me about uh, you know a few months ago, and he said, gas prices here are up 50%. And I said, wow. I said, who do people blame? And he said, our politicians. And I said, okay, so now we know who to blame for gas prices, Uganda's politicians. He's joking. I'm joking. We're all joking. Please don't go putting stickers on Ugandan gas pumps. So I think that's, uh, you know, it's universal. When gas prices go up, people blame the politicians. Basically, the, the underlying oil price movement is responsible for nearly all of gasoline price movement. So if you want to know why gas prices increased, it's almost always, well, oil prices increased. And what I said in that article is there are very few handles that a president has to influence gas prices in the short term. So what I'm getting here is that the short answer to is the president responsible for the price of gasoline is no. Correct. It is no. We can end the episode right now. Now, this is such a touchy topic, Nick. What was the response to Robert's article? It was not pleasant. The reason I reached out to him specifically was because his analysis was explicitly nonpartisan. 
I wanted to talk to someone who would take the political fuel out of this debate. Yeah, I try to do that, but people will still say, oh, you're being political. And I'd say, no, I'm, 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 I'm not. I'm just telling you what's happening. You, you can view it that way if you want, but I'm telling you what's actually happening. And I got a lot of nasty, nasty messages from people who were like, oh, you must be an idiot. Any idiot can see that Biden became president and then we had this big surge in gas prices. How could he not be responsible? And then people would say, how can you spend all this uh, uh, stimulus money and not expect inflation? He canceled the Keystone Pipeline. How can you not see? And all these things, I mean, they're, they're, none of them none of them have much of an impact on gas prices. And I'm going to get back to the Keystone Pipeline because that is relevant to this topic. But it's not just President Biden. These accusations have happened to whomever has been president when gas was expensive. But as Robert said, the price of gas is ruthlessly, firmly, permanently tied to the price of oil. Okay, but like how tied? Uh, Hannah here, I want to show you this graph, and I'm going to put it on our website if anyone wants to see it. Civics101podcast.org. It is a chart of the price of oil and the price of gasoline in the U.S. since 1946. There it is. Oh, they track almost exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And it is hard sometimes to look outside of our star-spangled shell, but the rise and fall of the price of gas in the U.S. over the years is the same in the U.K., Canada, Portugal, etc. Okay, so yes, you've made it very clear that the price of gas mirrors the price of oil. But can you answer for me why it is so expensive right now in January 2022? Yeah, but first uh, I have to put this in the broader historical picture. People are really upset now because gas is over $3 a gallon. You know, this does not even compare to what was going on in the 70s. This is Irina Ivanova. She's an economic reporter for CBS News, and she recently wrote an article called Can President Biden Do Anything to Lower Gas Prices? Right now, we have we have gas. It's expensive. It's, it's definitely hurting people. You know, we need our cars, and if you're on a tight budget, it, it hurts your budget. In the 70s, I mean, we we had, like, gas lines around the block. This gas line at one station on the Upper West Side ran from 96th Street and West End Avenue all the way up to 102nd Street. This is unreal. Isn't this disgusting? Why doesn't anybody contact the president? Why is he letting this happen to us? Hannah, when I say energy crisis in the 1970s, who is the first person that jumps into your mind? Who do people blame? Jimmy Carter? No. Uh, we face a problem. Uh, a problem with regard to energy, heating, for example, this winter, uh, just as we thought we faced a problem of gasoline uh, this summer and the possibility of brownouts. Carter popped into my head, too, but it started with Richard Nixon. The energy crises, plural, by the way, in the 1970s were massive and complicated. They dominated the headlines. But to summarize, are you familiar with OPEC, the organization of the petroleum exporting countries? Isn't it a group of countries that produce a lot of oil, and so they agree on prices and production so that we don't run out of oil, and so the market is not wildly unstable? Absolutely. And there's also OAPEC, which is the Organization of Arab Petroleum Exporting Countries. And a long story short, OAPEC created an embargo. They refused to sell oil to countries that had supported Israel in what is called the Yom Kippur War. The United States was one of the eight nations embargoed, and it was 
devastating. The U.S. didn't have uh, domestic oil production at that point, or if, if they did, it was, it was really minimal. You know, we were importing oil um, mostly from the Middle East. So there was this real sense of, you know, the U.S. being at the mercy of foreign powers and then the president not being able to, to do anything about it. I mean... You know what are what are what are you gonna what are you gonna do? Say like, hey guys, like, create more oil. You know, it was a whole geopolitical crisis. And gas wasn't just expensive after this embargo. There just wasn't enough of it. I mean, this is this is literally like you you need fuel. You cannot get it. People had to fill their tank based on the number on their license plate. And then of course you had people swapping around license plates so that on this day it was only. Uh, plates ending in even numbers could get filled up on the next day it was you know plates ending in in odd numbers president nixon established price controls on domestic oil he asked gas stations to not sell gas on saturday nights and sundays and congress created the 55 mile per hour speed limit on federal highways which was the inspiration for sammy hagar's hard rock anthem i can't drive 55 The 55 mile an hour speed limit was to control use of gas. Gas consumption, absolutely. You you save gas when you drive slower. This was the issue in the Nixon administration. In a poll conducted in New York, 76% of people said the energy crisis was the most important problem facing the country versus Watergate, which got about 15%. And then it was the issue in Gerald Ford's administration. And then Jimmy Carter made the energy crisis his own personal Waterloo. He gave speeches on how we all just have to use less gas. He installed solar panels on the White House. He asked Americans to just do more with less, which, as you can imagine, was an extremely unpopular concept. If we learn to live thriftily and remember the importance of helping our neighbors, then we can find ways to adjust. It was so unpopular that it was parodied by Archie Bunker in All in the Family. I bet you won't find none of them congressmen signing down their electric blankets tonight. (laughs) And then things started to shift in the 1980s. Oil started to flow more freely from the Middle East. Ronald Reagan came in, removed those price controls that Nixon had created, stopped pushing Carter's automobile efficiency standards, removed all environmental restrictions on local gas production, and deployed soldiers in the Persian Gulf. And the last thing he did was to take the solar panels off the roof of the White House. Gas prices came down. Wow, okay. Uh, All of that history brings up the question from the beginning of this episode, can a president or a Congress do anything to lower the price of oil and therefore gasoline. Are there any executive powers that President Biden can use or has used? There are. Sort of. And we're going to talk about three of the things a president can do to lower the price of gas, along with the breakdown of what's going on right now, and finally, how the Keystone XL pipeline is tied to all of this right after the break. But before we break, just your friendly weekly reminder that we have a newsletter and it's not one of those annoying things. We're not going to bombard you with emails. It's just the place where we put all of the fun stuff that we learned about episodes while we were working on it. It is just a way to get to know us better and get to know more about civics. If you're into that, you can subscribe right now. It's at civics101podcast.org. It comes out every other week and it's fun. All right. 
Hey there, everyone. Hey, folks. The whole Civics 101 team is here in D.C. for a week. That's why you hear cars and stuff whizzing by. Uh, we are in the district to talk to the people that we talk about on a daily basis. And a lot of those people work in the executive branch. That is the largest employer in the world. And a lot of those people work in the civil service, where, after the assassination of James Garfield, it's a long story, they take an exam to make sure that they are the right person for their job. But if you run a business, and you're not the federal government, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all, but to match instead. With Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. 23 hires are made on Indeed every minute, and their matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use it, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash civics. Just go to Indeed.com slash civics right now to support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash civics. Terms and conditions apply. You need to hire. You need Indeed. Civics 101 is a listener-supported show. Support the show with whatever you can, depending on the price of gas right now, at our website, civics101podcast.org. As of this recording, January 25th, 2022, gas in the U.S. is at an average of $3.22 a gallon, up from $1.80 in spring of 2020. So how, Nick, do we get here so fast? All right, here's Robert Rapier again. Okay, so as the pandemic was starting to get heated up, Saudi Arabia and Russia decided to engage in a price war over over oil. That started prices uh, prices dipping. Hannah, something I didn't know about was the concept of futures and investing. Don't turn off the podcast. It's interesting, I promise. Uh, people invest in oil futures, which is a lot riskier than just buying stocks. Because uh, what you're doing is you're committing to owing an infinite amount of money. If you invest $1,000 in oil futures and the price goes way down, you don't just earn zero, you're on the hook to owe a lot of money. Isn't that scary? I don't know anything about investing. <laughs> it's a good thing I don't do it. And, and that's what happened. And a lot of people got caught. It caused some marginal producers to shut down. It caused some producers to go bankrupt. And then the pandemic hit and the stay-at-home orders and the demand for oil in the U.S. plummeted. Oh, I remember this period. Nobody was driving. We all had stay-at-home orders, and so nobody was buying gas. And it was something like under $2 a gallon. Yeah, and then, slowly, Americans started going back to work and back to school. After the stay-at-home order started to expire, demand started to recover. And it recovered much faster than supply did. And so from negative prices, we saw prices start to take off. And then over the next uh, year... Supply was short. Demand increased back to about where it was. And supply, which had fallen by you know two or three million barrels a day, it took it a lot, much longer time to come back online. And people say, why? And I said, well, some of the companies don't even exist anymore. Some of the marginal wells were shut in and you can't bring those back online. If you got a stripper well producing a few barrels a day and suddenly prices are negative, you may permanently shut that well down. You're not going to bring it back online. And that is the primary reason oil prices skyrocketed and gasoline prices followed. That is the single biggest reason, much bigger factor than anything Trump did or anything that, uh, that Biden has done. 
Okay, I am ready for it. What can the president do to lower gas prices? All right, I got three for you, three things. Here is Irina Ivanova again with number one. There's one specific thing that the president could do uh, and that Biden actually has done that has a, a little bit of an impact. It, ha- it can create a little blip in gas prices, uh, and that is to release oil from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. What is the Strategic Petroleum Reserve? Just like a massive tank of gas somewhere? Yeah, it's a system of caverns along the Gulf Coast. Massive underground salt domes that are full of oil, and that oil can be turned into gasoline. It was created in 1975 in response to the oil embargo, and it can hold 714 million barrels of crude. Some caverns hold sweet crude. Some caverns hold sour crude. I'm going to get into that in the newsletter. But recently, Congress has been selling the oil in the reserve since 2015 to fund the deficit. And President Biden released 50 million barrels from it in November 2021. Presidents frequently do it leading up to elections because high gas prices are not a, a prescription for getting uh, getting reelected. And so that's one. It's not a, I mean, you can't just keep doing that. We have a strategic petroleum reserve for a reason. So there is a risk in doing it. But presidents have used that handle time and time again. And the main reason is really signaling, right? And and voters voters love it, you know. So there is there is that effect of like, oh, the president's looking out for me. In the grand scheme of things, just to sort of put it into numbers, you know, we we released uh, something like fifty million barrels of oil. That is roughly what the entire U.S. uses in a single day. All right, sounds like number one, tap the piggy bank. It's a gesture, but a relatively ineffective one, right? So what's number two? Number two is to ban exports. Stop selling oil that we produce to other countries. Keep it all to ourselves. Uh, Which we did for 40 years until 2015. Uh, President Obama agreed to end that ban on oil exports. And, and what was happening at the time is fracking had, had increased oil supplies dramatically in the U.S. Fracking, by the way, uh, or hydraulic fracturing, is a method of extracting oil and natural gas from deep underground. And we were getting a lot more gas from fracking in 2015. But there's a ban on exports. And so all of that had to go through domestic refineries. And that was depressing the price of, of oil. And what was happening is domestic refiners were then refining the oil but there was no ban on finished product exports. So finished product exports went through the roof, refiners were printing money, and in in reality, it didn't really affect gas prices because gas prices still were set by uh, the global market. And so it just shifted who who was making the money. So you could make an argument that maybe it might have some influence because it would depress oil prices in the U.S., but, you know, unless you're banning finished product exports, too, it's just refiners are going to make a lot more money. So Robert is saying that if we stop exporting oil, refineries will just export the gas and diesel they make from that oil and nothing will change except refiners make more money. Yes. And there's another problem with stopping exports, kind of an oil cold war. The bigger issue, which a lot of people brought up uh, with this idea of banning oil exports, is that um it would cause other oil-producing countries, to use a technical term, to completely flip out 
and lose their cool and and retaliate you know i mean if the u.s can ban oil experts other people can say well we can't have your oil you can't have our oil you know so so <laughs> so their uh their analysis is that it would just it would just lead to an arms race metaphorically where everybody's withholding their gasoline and we don't actually have you know more oil globally Finally, action number three, cut taxes. There is a federal tax of about 18 cents per gallon of gasoline, but the much bigger tax comes from your state. Different states uh, have very, very different uh, amounts of taxes. There's um, Texas, Tennessee uh, have very low fuel taxes. California famously has extremely high uh, fuel taxes. On average, the tax that the state imposes accounts for roughly 15% of the price at the pump. State governors could potentially um, try to make this stuff cheaper, and and they you know they would work, especially in a place like California, where you know you're talking about 450 uh, or more for for gas. You know, if 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 you shave off 15%, that's that that could be significant. We're calling this episode The President and the Price of Gas, but it sounds like you could just as easily call it The Governor and the Price of Gas. You could indeed, your state's own little president. Or maybe it'd be better to call the episode Your State Legislature and the Price of Gas, since they're the ones who actually write the laws. Last thing, I have heard a lot of criticism of President Biden's handling of the price of gasoline being tied to his decision to cancel the Keystone XL pipeline. Can we get into that? Yeah. We have thousands of young people here in the streets of Washington, D.C., marching to the White House to risk arrest to demand that President Obama say no to Keystone XL. So briefly, the Keystone Pipeline Project, it's a proposed pipeline that transported oil from Canada to Texas. It was the subject of years of protests by indigenous activists, landowners, and environmental groups. Uh, It was a protest that spanned three presidential administrations, and it was a successful protest uh, as the project was abandoned in June 2021 after President Biden issued an executive order to ban the permit for it. Hannah, this is the talking point on conservative talk radio, that the canceling of the pipeline increased the price of gas. So did it? Robert says no. Why wouldn't that influence oil prices? Because the Keystone Pipeline, that, that supply wasn't going to come on for years. And we don't know what the demand situation is like in years. So, so this doesn't have a short-term influence on oil prices. I, I said before, if scientists say we're going to have 50% more hurricanes in the Gulf Coast over the next two decades, that's not going to move oil prices. But if one is rolling through the Gulf Coast right now, it will. I mean, there's short-term factors that increase the price. But longer term, these things just don't move the needle much. So a lot of the actions President Biden has taken, although they can influence the price in the long run, people mistakenly assume that's why prices are moving now. And for a lot of people, I, I point out, you know, between uh, the time the, of the election and the time Biden was sworn in, Oil prices moved up 40%. Do you blame Trump for that? Did people blame Trump for that? House and Senate Democrats sure did. Uh, They blamed it on his recent sanctions of Iran. 
Uh, President Trump tweeted at OPEC and said that they were to blame and they had to increase production. That didn't do much. So then he tweeted that it was Obama's fault because Obama had conspired with Saudi Arabia to lower prices before his reelection. Anyways, this is a playbook both parties have used. But to reiterate the effect of the Keystone Pipeline project, uh, Irina spoke to Tom Kloza from Opus, which is a major market analysis firm. And Tom said, quote, the Keystone decision is something that might come back and haunt the administration in 2023. But it has absolutely nothing to do with why crude oil prices now have rallied so much since April 2020. Okay, this is making me think about the fact that no matter how much power we perceive our chief executive as having, sometimes we lose sight of the fact that there are instances where they are not the most important person in the room. And when I look at how the price of gas here tracks exactly with prices globally, it's also clear that just like a lot of issues when it comes to the price of oil, the United States is not the most important person in the room either. We should make a new sticker. Oh, yeah. What should we put on it? Like a, like a huge sticker that is an illustrated embodiment of the global crude oil market saying, I did that. And then like much smaller, a sticker that's got like the House and the Senate and like 50 different state legislatures and all the governors, the department who runs the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. And you got to like have Nixon and Carter on it, too. Maybe actually every president. Um, thus far, sort of all holding hands like it's a small world, and they're all singing, and we all kind of helped. I'll call the print shop. Well, that'll just about do it. Today's episode was produced by me, Nick Capodice, with Hannah McCarthy. Our staff includes Christina Phillips and Jackie Fulton. Rebecca Lavoie is our executive producer and doesn't need to heat her home because of her coat, because of her amazing jacket. Music in this episode by the inimitable Chris Zabriskie, Kevin McLeod, Lobo Loco, Diala, Broke for Free, Nico Stoff, Bobby Renz, and this track playing here, we love it so much, Whispering Through by Asura. Civics 101 is a production of NHPR, New Hampshire Public Radio. Bloop. Bloop.